0: This episode of Leia Foundation is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free, there are tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. It's everything you need to make a podcast, all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That is A-N-C-H-O-R to get started. We love you, Anchor. Hey, y'all. My name's Casey, and welcome to the sixth episode of Leia Foundation. Today, we are talking about Chevron USA Incorporated versus Natural Resources Defense Council, which was argued before Berger Supreme Court in 1984. So this is quite a jump forward in time from our last few episodes, and it is also the first time I'll be discussing a case decided by Berger's court. So I'm gonna take a moment to give a little bit of context about the court before we dive into the case itself. Warren Berger was the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court from 1969 to 1986. He was a conservative with significant ties to the Republican Party, and he was appointed by President Nixon. The Burger Court is generally considered to be the last liberal court to date and is often referred to as a transitional court, because it served as a transition between the liberal Warren Court and the conservative Rehnquist Court that would follow it. Even though the Burger Court held pretty different interpretations of some constitutional rights than the Warren Court, it didn't overrule any of the major decisions of the Warren Court, further leading to its being referenced as a transitional court. Beyond an understanding of the court, the major context needed in this case is an understanding of the Clean Air Act, or the CAA. The long title of the CAA is An Act to Improve, Strengthen, and Accelerate Programs for the Prevention and Abatement of Air Pollution as Amended. Essentially, it was written and designed to limit air pollution in the United States. Because it is a major environmental policy on the federal level, the enforcement and management of this act falls to the Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA. The application of the act relevant to this case was that states who had not yet met national clean air standards had to establish a permit program to regulate major stationary sources of air pollution, like manufacturing plants. In 1981, the EPA adopted a new definition of stationary sources, which would allow an existing plant to install new equipment that did not meet the Act's standards, as long as the plant as a whole did not have an increase in their emissions. Several environmental groups, including the NRDC or the National Resources Defense Council, challenged this new EPA regulation in federal court, claiming that this new provision was contrary to the Act itself. The lower court ruled in favor of the NRDC, and so Chevron Incorporated, an energy company that was affected by this ruling, appealed the decision which brought it to the Supreme Court. Given those facts, here is the question posed to the court. Does the Clean Air Act permit the EPA to define the term stationary source to mean whole industrial plants only, which allows plants to build or modify units within plants without the permit required under the act? In more general terms, the court needed to decide how much leeway a government agency has in its interpretation of a law that it was charged with managing. It ended up being a unanimous decision for Chevron. Justice John Paul Stevens wrote the decision, which held that the new interpretation was reasonable given the term stationary source in the Clean Air Act. Particularly because Congress did not have a specific intention for the interpretation of that term, the EPA's regulation was a reasonable policy choice. This case is famous because it establishes that the judiciary, when dealing with a matter of interpreting ambiguous language by a federal government agency, should defer to that agency. Congress gave them power over a piece of legislation, and so they should have the ability to interpret ambiguous language as they see fit. This principle is commonly known as the chevron deference. Justice Stephen describes the two-step process of applying it as follows. first always, is the question whether Congress has directly spoken to the precise question at issue. If the intent of Congress is clear, that is the end of the matter, for the Court, as well as the agency, must give effect to the unambiguously expressed intent of Congress. If, however, the Court determines Congress has not directly addressed the precise question at issue, the Court does not simply impose its own construction of the statute. Rather, If the statute is silent or ambiguous with respect to the specific issue, the question for the court is whether the agency's answer is based on a permissible construction of the statute. This ruling has been applied all across the board in the years since this decision. Many scholars and legal experts recognize it as one of the most important cases in American administrative law whereas some others note that this was common practice for the Supreme Court before this ruling, though this was the case that formalized it in jurisprudence. When you look at the cases that have used the Chevron deference, you can clearly see its impact. Though it was only decided in 1984, it has already been cited in over 11,000 judicial decisions and over 2,000 administrative decisions. These numbers continue to grow rapidly, averaging about 1,000 judicial decisions per year. Regardless of those numbers, there are many who oppose this decision. In his book, By the People, Rebuilding Liberty Without Permission, political scientist Charles Murray writes, Chevron deference augments that characteristic of prerogative power by giving regulatory bureaucrats a pass available to no private citizen and to no other government officials, including the president and cabinet officers, who function outside the regulatory state. For everyone except officials of the regulatory state, judges do not defer to anything except the text of the law in question and the body of case law accompanying it. Further, multiple decisions in the 21st century have limited the applicability of the Chevron deference by limiting the number of agencies that could use the deference for matters of law. Specifically, in 2015, the decision in the case of King versus Burwell states that the deference is inappropriate in matters of deep economic and political significance. All of that being said, here are our takeaways. In this pretty quick episode, we tackled a key element of American administrative law. Essentially, the creation of the Chevron deference means that a government agency tasked with managing and implementing a piece of Congressional legislation should be the ones to interpret that piece of legislation where Congress has not made specific calls or decisions that authority is passed to the government agency tasked with implementation. Though it has been largely cited, there are many who oppose it. And so time will tell if the Chevron deference continues to stand or if something will happen to it in the coming years. And that was Leia Foundation for the case of Chevron USA Incorporated versus Natural Resources Defense Council. See you next week. And in the meantime, check out the podcast on Instagram at, at Leia Foundation.